Welcome to the Essay for Essays Asset Allocator Podcast, a series that addresses issues of current interest to financial advisors, including ETFs, asset allocation, and the economy. I'm your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and today we will discuss the current market crisis in a broader perspective. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, this message. If you're a financial advisor, you should be using Seeking Alpha Premium. I'll mention just two items I personally think are valuable for advisors. Number one, advisors typically get investment research from their own broker-dealer, and it's good to cross-reference that with the research available to Seeking Alpha Premium subscribers. Number two, the quantitative ratings available to premium subscribers are an incredible value-add because they make it possible to compare investments with mutually consistent data. In other words, it aids in getting different investment ideas to talk to each other, as it were. These features are just the tip of the iceberg, and it costs only $240 for an annual subscription. Click on Upgrade on the top right of your Seeking Alpha homepage to see a full list of benefits and options. A regular listener has asked two very good questions about the current market crisis. His first question, put into historical perspective the economic and market conditions we are currently experiencing. And his second question, consider the potential impact of this third market crash in 20 years and advance some fundamental economic and societal impacts about how this may likely play out. I will try to answer them, but my answers will sound different from other commentators, not different in the sense of opposite, as in they're saying buy and I'm saying sell, or vice versa, but different in the sense of de-emphasizing the financial mumbo-jumbo and instead emphasizing the human aspect of this. Why this approach? Because I feel that in this way, I might say something useful and true. What I won't do is use statistics to sound authoritative about something we can't totally grasp. As an example of what I mean, about two centuries ago, a cholera plague swept through Europe. In England, the death rate at London's homeopathic hospital was one-third the rate at Middlesex Hospital, which followed conventional medical standards. The ratio between homeopathic and standard medicine was similar in other hospitals at that time and place. Now, I'm not offering an opinion on alternative medicine. However, I imagine that after that crisis 200 years ago, a lot of statistics-wielding commentators drew the conclusion that homeopathy was the way to go. Advocates of that approach still cite this historic interlude. But other researchers have concluded that the homeopathic treatment wasn't what mattered. It's just that the hygienic standards of regular hospitals in Middlesex and elsewhere were atrocious at that time, and that caused the disease to pass between patients. In clean, conventional hospitals today, nobody dies of cholera, whereas the homeopathic hospital's success rate has not changed. Bear this in mind next time you hear financial commentators brandishing statistics. Even if the data is correct, it is subject to misinterpretation. So here's the statistical perspective that I think may help us understand our current situation. The coronavirus situation is dire. It's taking a human toll and is shattering the economy. People are losing their jobs in droves, and every one of these losses has knock-on effects. Consequently, it could seem like we're facing doom. And yet, one can rationally and truthfully state that doomsday predictions have a 100% failure rate to date. That's a pretty meaningful statistic. An important rule of investing is that if there are strong statistics, it is preferable to rely on those statistics than on experts who say otherwise. 
This is consistent with the work of economics Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman, who concluded that when making choices in the face of an uncertain outcome, decision makers should be guided by the statistical principle of regression to the mean. In the case of falling markets, recovery is the ordinary outcome. That is the main lesson I would offer from past crises. They all differed in the individual details, but they all eventually passed. So while we don't know when the crisis will end, when the recovery will begin, nor how long it might take to reach the market's pre-crisis peak, all factors that are material to how much investors may or may not profit, the coronavirus crisis is more likely to be a distant memory one day than a perpetual present-day threat. Now I will address the second question about economic and societal impacts. One of the immediate results of every market crash is panic selling. This phenomenon is called fight-or-flight response. It is thought to be an innate physiological reaction to acute stress, and is well-known and often discussed. What is less well-known is that there is a difference between the response of somebody being chased by a tiger and the response of people stressed out by the coronavirus crisis. After the 2008 global financial crisis, a psychiatrist explained that the increased heart rate, dilated pupils, adrenaline secretion, and other physical responses all work to increase the effectiveness of the person under threat. He either flees, kills his attacker, or has killed himself. But it's much harder for us to cope with this sort of threat response on a long-term basis as occurs when people are threatened by an economy that is rapidly falling apart. Where is our safe haven? What means do we have of fighting off the global economy coming apart, the loss of our job at a time when millions of others are losing theirs as well? It's not our bodies under attack for a few moments, but our egos under attack for days, weeks, months, or longer. The stress from this sort of an assault is more vicious than a tiger. It can trigger physical ailments, while a collapsing economy can prey on one's sense of self-worth. Consequently, and I should add, tragically, among a segment of those devastated financially, we're apt to see an increase in gambling. Some people will do this in Las Vegas and Atlantic City, but many will do so in the stock market. We're also likely to see an increase in borrowing from disreputable sources. Some will go to loan sharks, but others will seek income through the riskiest high-yield bonds or shakiest dividend-paying stocks. There will be other societal effects as well, and they will likely last for many years beyond our victory against the virus itself. But our ability to foresee what they will be is as constrained as our ability to make investing inferences from the statistics of past market crises. Tying this all together, I will reiterate an important principle often noted on this podcast, and that is the notion that we must focus on what we can control and not stress out over what we cannot control. You've heard this from market commentators, but I think it will penetrate more if I say it in the name of the great prisoner of conscience, Natan Sharansky, who spent nine years in a Soviet prison, half that time in solitary confinement, and 405 days in a punishment cell. When asked for advice on coping with this crisis, he replied that when in prison, he didn't know when he'd be released, or if he'd be released at all, which is kind of how we all feel like right now. So he wisely advised, don't build your future plans based on the hope that it'll be over in a few days or weeks, because that doesn't depend on you. Instead, build plans that depend only on you. He played chess in prison, even in his head. We need to play a sort of chess in our financial lives, acting strategically, but based on our personal goals, challenges, and opportunities. There's no one answer for everybody. People are given over to psychological pressures, panic, and our imaginations run wild. But we should know that this will pass, we will cope, and that doing so is greatly aided 
by keeping our focus day-to-day only on what we can control. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast of value, I would be much obliged if you would pass it on to other advisors to keep this FA project growing. Also, feel free to contact me at gill at seekingalpha.com with any feedback. This is Seeking Alpha's Gil Weinrich.